Welcome to Extremely Valid Points. We're three business owners and friends who enjoy talking about business, marketing, and creativity. Along the way, we just might happen to make some extremely valid points. So we'd love it if you would join us in today's conversation. Welcome everyone back to the show. This is episode nine of Extremely Valid Points. We're so glad you joined us. Today we are talking with an attorney. And uh, my name is Jenny Sala. I'm co-host. And I'm Nathan Sala. And I'm Dave Wilkins. Thanks for joining us. And today we are talking with an attorney, Ashley Immersion with Immersion Shankar Legal Inc. She's with us today via Zoom. Ashley has a law firm in Fresno, California. We've invited her to be on the show to talk about a few things. First, we're going to talk about her business, what it's like to run your own law firm. Uh, Then we're going to talk about marketing from the perspective of a law firm and how that all works. And then she's going to talk to us about some legal advice, what we business owners need to know and how we can make sure we don't get sued. (laughs) Very important. Absolutely. Sounds good. So welcome, Ashley. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on your podcast. Um, I'm really excited to be here. So um, like you said, I'm, a, I'm an attorney. I am a business and employment law attorney. So my clients are business owners um, of many sizes, small, medium, large, um, primarily in the Central Valley. Um, and my law firm provides um, day-to-day operations compliance support um, for anything related to the business, um, including HR support. Awesome. That's really important information for us to know. And I think one of the reasons why we wanted to invite you to be on the show is because we are all kind of creatives and kind of fly by the seat of our pants kind of people. Um, This side of business does not come naturally to us. And, you know, it's I think sometimes you have to get in trouble a few times before you realize you need an attorney. (laughs) And then you say to yourself, I don't I don't want to deal with that again. Um, I need some help. And so we thought it'd be good to have you on the show and uh, and give us some advice in that aspect. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to do that. Yeah, a lot of our audience, uh, you know, they're obviously going to be business owners. They're going to be uh, people kind of in the marketing realm and and that type of thing. Um, But also, uh, you know, maybe there's some young aspiring attorneys out there, too, that would just love to hear uh, what it's like, you know, from somebody who's made it. Aspiring attorneys. I would say make sure you consider other things first. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, so absolutely. I mean, so I mean, I've, I've been practicing about 10 years now. Um, and I started out, you know, those big law firms, 100 attorney kind of places. That's where I received most of my training. Um, and I went in-house for a little bit. And it was just sort of one of those things where an opportunity just sort of presented itself. And it was like now or never. Um, and a lot of that had to do with my business partner, Ina, uh, Ina Shankar. Um, she's an attorney as well. We've been a legal team for a number of years now. Um, and she was sort of twisting my arm. She's like, we should do it. We should do it. Um, and so with her encouragement and the right opportunity and the right gut feeling, um, we just said, hey, if we're going to try this. Um, if we don't try it, we'll regret it. Um, and so we launched our company in 2018 um, as a cloud-based law firm. Nice. So uh, since you started, what do you love about it and what do you hate about it? Gosh, you know, I mean, I really do love um, building it 
um, it's sort of, uh, you know, like my baby right now, we're three years old and um, we're sort of, we've gone through all of the startup growth phases and are entering into that, um, you know, more established business phase. And it's really been great to, to build that um, with my partner, Ina, um, and, and to see how we can build a business that really supports our families um, and our staff's families. And so that part of it has been um, truly rewarding. And also because we do a lot of business, well, we do business in employment law, right? And so we can help other business owners do the same thing, um, build their business to support their community, their families, um, their staff. Um, and so that has also been truly rewarding. I think, um, you know, what's probably been the most difficult is that um, you have a lot of people relying on you, you know, clients, family, friends, staff, um, business partners. Dean and I always joke, having a business partner is like being married. Um, we, we're both married, you know, our husbands, we love them very much, but we talk to each other more than our husbands some days. And so, you know, that, that um, level of commitment can sometimes be difficult to manage to find the balance with. Um, and so we're trying this year um, to be a little bit more intentional about um, having capacity to be all of the things that we are to all of the people in our lives. So that's probably um, the trickiest part of, of running the ship. <laughs> I had to chuckle a little bit when you said that having a business partner is like being married because um, my business partner is my spouse. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Whole new level of complexity there for sure. I bet. For sure. Uh, you know, like the other day I sent him a message in Slack and I thought I was sending it to him individually. And I was like, hey, babe, can you do this for me? Turned out I had sent it like to the entire team. <laughs> uh, yeah, you should have a policy on that somewhere in your handbook. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. But, you know, it works both ways, too. I mean, sometimes we're at home and we should, like, have things, business turned off. But, like, we just can't stop talking about what needs to be done. And so it all just kind of blurs. It does. I totally get it. Would you say that you have a, like, an entrepreneurial spirit? Did you always sort of, growing up, did you feel like that's something you wanted to have your own business or your own firm or something like that? Or is that something you kind of just got into? That's a great question. Um, if you had asked me in law school, I would not be doing this. Um, and I'm the first in, in my family to go to college, let alone law school. And so I don't have, I didn't have a lot of really good examples of lawyers or, um, you know, business owners. Um, and I actually wanted to, you know, work for the government when I first entered law school. Um, but it's funny because when I launched my firm and I started to sort of tell family and friends, you know, Ina and I were launching our own firm. We're going to start our own company. Um, they were not surprised. <laughs> they were like, oh, yeah, we figured. Um, and so, so that surprised me, yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. that reaction. Um, but now three years in or so, um, it does feel right. It feels like the right time for me to be doing this work. So. That's awesome. Very cool. That's really cool. That's a great example of how sometimes people see things in us that we don't see in ourselves. So that's why it's yeah. good to have a good support team around you of people who are for you and behind you. Absolutely. All right. So uh, let's talk about marketing. Uh, so as you've started your business, what things have you done to market yourself 
Tell us about that. Well, you know, it's interesting because, um, you know, we're a cloud-based law firm. And so what that really means is that we have a very different model than traditional law firms. So the traditional law firm model is there's an office building. It's grand. They have marble conference tables. Um, you go to the building as a client. They don't come to you. That's like the traditional model. We're totally flipping that lid. Um, so we go to clients and travel to be on site with them regularly. Um, you know, we meet them where they are. Um, both literally and physically, um, or theoretically and physically rather. And so, um, you know, but but even though we're we're unique and and we're not a traditional offer model, the marketing is is very much the same because law has has pretty much always been a relationship building referral business, um, as as many professional services are, um, and those are still our best the best compliment we can get from a client is a referral. Um, to our business um, up with a new client. And so um, that is primarily how we have grown over the last three years is referrals from people we have worked with, people who know us. Um, and so that's, that's our primary model of, of growth and marketing is um, word of mouth and relationship building. But obviously, you know, we live in a, an online world um, and there's no, there's no getting away or backing off from that. And so um, well, Jenny, your team, you know, the fabulous team at World Light Media um, designed our website. Um, when, when I first launched, I did my own, I tried to do my own website. This is hilarious. And you should have seen me. I quit after four hours and it was like the worst experience. And I was like, if this is running your own business, like I, I can't do it. Um, so um, we've been able to sort of, you know, ramp up and sort of reinvest in, in a really great website. And I've gotten crazy compliments on it. And so, you know, when we went through that process, um, we really tried to infuse the website with, with our personalities and our philosophy and our style. And I think that really shines through. Um, and so we've been able to attract really good fits for our business. Um, people, you know, we're cloud-based. So obviously we use technology in all manner of communication with clients, text, PDF, DocuSign, electronic communications. And so um, that that sort of flavor of our business is really borne out in our website and it's been able to attract um, really, really good clients that, that we've worked with um, since the beginning and a couple new ones recently. So that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the most common feedback I've gotten and it's been, gosh, I think almost a year since that website was popped up. If not, we're coming up on it soon. I think the most common piece of feedback that we've gotten on our website is, um, how easy it is to absorb information. We're not inundating with too much text, but also the authenticity of um, who we are as a law firm shines through and people comment on that without me asking them or prompting them. And it's not like a, every conversation I said, well, how, you know, what did you think of our website? People <laughs> just offer this information up and I'm like, oh, money well spent. <laughs> so um, I think it's really, again, about relationship building and people um, and wanting an experience that is um, real and practical. That's good because you don't want your website to, um, we've talked about this in an earlier episode when we were talking about branding, um, you know, trying to look bigger than you are or trying to be something that you're not, you know, people can kind of buy into that. First of all, you don't necessarily want somebody to call you up that thinks you're a big law firm and expects to come to your office, right? Um, you want somebody that's looking for somebody more approachable. You want them to not feel threatened by you. They want to, you want them to know before they even call you what they're going to get. And they already like that and they think it's a great idea. And then they give you a call. 
Yeah, yeah, we're definitely not trying to be something we're not. Um, when we were building our website, um, we really wanted to stay true to our roots and who we were um, so that we could attract the kind of people we want to work for. Also, um, you know, we try to um, have, you know, diverse pictures of different kinds of people on our website. Um, we are not, you know, we're not your grandpa's law firm. You know, they, they had a certain look 50 years ago, law firms did, especially in Fresno. Uh, we're, we're definitely not that. Um, and so, you know, we're attracted, we want to attract clients that also believe in those values of diversity and ingenuity and reinvestment in community. And that's what we try to, um, you know, exhibit on our website in, when we went through that process. So tech-savvy clients find you because your business attracts tech-savvy clients. Would you say that? Yeah, yeah, I would say that. And I would say, too, that, um, you know, when we were developing our website, um, you know, we were looking, okay, so what is that law firm doing? What does this law firm do? And what do we like about their website and not like about their website? Um, and so I think that really website development, web-based marketing has to be fresh. It has to feel authentic. It has to grab people quickly. Um, and so that's how we really tried to separate out ourselves from other law firms online. That's great advice. I just have to say, what amazing timing for you to start a firm that's cloud-based when the entire world happens to shut down and you can't meet anybody anyway. That's amazing. I love that. Yeah, it has been really serendipitous. Um, you know, we were, so we were cloud-based, we were remote um, before COVID. And, and what that means is that our team works remotely from wherever they'd like, mostly home offices. But, um, you know, if I have a family event, Bakersfield on the coast, you know, my office is in my, my phone and my laptop. Um, we invest heavily in, in Office 365 um, legal research tools that speed us up through the use of algorithms and AI. And so <clears throat> we're really mobile. Um, you know, it, it used to, you know, when I was in law school, right, we would do have research projects and we would have to go to the library and pull books off the shelf. Not, nothing's like that anymore. Um, and so in developing this new model, we really have, have sort of jumped on the bandwagon early. I think that's true. Um, and I remember when COVID first hit, having conversations with um, other attorneys whose law firms were really struggling to make that shift. They're tied to a server in the closet instead of cloud-based platforms. Um, and so I think that the world will never be the same again. Um, and I'm really, you know, now when I say I'm a cloud-based law firm, people understand what that means now. In 2018, they did not. Wow. Um, and they sort of gave me a funny look like, are you a real lawyer? <laughs> I, I am a very, a very good, if I might say so myself, lawyer. And it was the same then, it's the same now. So there's greater understanding about the way people can work can be really different than what we were putting ourselves through before. Yeah. I, I also love, you know, the, you know, you get the sense that, you know, if I'm paying you, you know, what you're worth as an attorney, uh, you're not taking the money and buying marble conference tables or, you know, fancy office space. You're reinvesting it into the technology and, and growing your team. Yeah. And it seems like it's yeah. just a better investment for a business owner to invest in you know, that type of attorney. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely an accurate way to summarize our model. Yeah. And how convenient just that you meet with, you know, come on site to meet and get, get a sense of our business perhaps, or, you know, or at least just the convenience of being able to zoom with you or chat with you on the phone. Uh, sounds like that's, yeah. that's an important thing for you. Do any of your clients text you? Oh, all the time. See, yeah. to me, that would be like, I just think, 
if I can just text my my lawyer, I don't know, I would feel really special. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's not just like, hey, can I hey, can I schedule a meeting? Like all stuffy like that. Like it's like, hey, I have an employee being offboarded right now. They've said the word harassment. Like, do you have time to chat immediately? And I'm like, yes, we can handle that. Or if it's not me, I send Brittany in or Ina. Um, or like we got a, a wait a quick wage an hour question via text last week. Um, and so instead of, you know, all this formality and the pomp and circumstance, we just want it to feel like real legal services for real people doing real business that are super practical, um, and not over lawyered. There is such a thing as over lawyering and, um, we have a philosophy against it at Emerson Sink, our legal link. <laughs> <laughs> what is over lawyering? Please educate us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I think it really goes to our entrepreneurial approach. You know, we're not just lawyers, we're, we're entrepreneurs too. And so when you come to me and you say, okay, well, I have this issue and I know that the A plus answer is blank, but I want to know what A minus looks like and what those risks are. And what if I can't do anything but C plus right now? How, how can I make that work? And so our model is really about taking any business or HR challenge, giving you all the options. There's never just one solution to a, to a business challenge or a compliance challenge. There's always options, including sometimes doing nothing. That's always an option. You can always just do nothing. And then what we try to do is help business owners see those options and analyze the risk associated with them and then make a knowing business decision that is right for them and their business and their families. Um, and that's not going to be a one size fits all. You know, my clients with 100 employees might make a different decision than my clients with two. Um, and that's okay. Um, and, and we never want our clients to come away from a meeting feeling like they've done something wrong. We want them to come away from a meeting with us feeling like, wow, that was some great support. And if that bad thing happens, I know what to do. I know how I'm going to handle it. So um, I've got, I've got goosebumps. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> wow, I'm impressed. We're having discussions about legal issues and you're giving Nathan goosebumps. Well, yeah, I, I just I just love, you know, just the heart behind it. It, it, it you know, it comes through and I think that's so important, you know. Uh you don't think of lawyers in that capacity. You think of them as like sharks and, you know, <laughs> <laughs> the best the best philosophy is not to go swimming ever you know oh yeah well they do exist those those sharks are out there they just don't work at my law firm <laughs> so yeah that is good uh yeah so we talked about you know business people were spinning a lot of plates, especially as we're getting started. You know, you tried to build your own website as a lawyer. We tried to find our own contract templates off of the internet when we first started and when we incorporated. And, you know, we've all done these like um, duct tape kind of things. Um, but what are some things like common mistakes you see people like us making when you meet with people? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't even call them mistakes because I feel like that initially has like this negative connotation. It's like, oh, I shouldn't be doing that. And, you know, I'm not the law police. Like, that's not how we approach our work. And so what, what I can say is that there are five kind of pitfalls that I want to help my clients avoid. Um, some of them, you know, I've made myself as an entrepreneur starting out, even though, you know, I'm a lawyer. And so, you know, when we um, talk about these pitfalls, and I'll give them to you in just a second here, 
Um, we're also bringing to the table our legal knowledge and experience, you know, a, dec a decade of experience in business and employment law. But what we're also bringing is having been there and literally having to have done it um, when, when we talk about this. And so, um, you know, if you want to call it a mistake, that's, that's cool too. But we should recognize like at the outset, like everybody makes these mistakes. They're very common and very fixable. Every, every problem has, has more than one solution. So here's the five pitfalls that um, I tend to talk about um, when I'm giving lectures or presentations on this kind of thing. Um, so the first is not having a legal entity to run your business activities out of or having the wrong legal entity um, or incorporating incorrectly. So, you know, often I'll see people who thought they incorporated, um, but they forgot to sign the paperwork that they printed off. And so they don't actually have a fully formed legal entity, or they didn't know that they had to do a couple of extra filings for a certain type of business entity. And the reason that's important, um, two reasons, and footnote, I'm not a tax professional. Everybody should have a certified public accountant to work with too. Um, but there are tax benefits to having a legal entity when you reach a certain threshold of revenue. And so you definitely wanna talk with your certified public accountant about that part of it. Um, but aside from the tax benefits that, that are possible, there's also a liability shield. So, um, you know, when I do this on a presentation, I usually have a slide that has a triangle um, and a little house inside of it. And so you're trying to protect your personal assets, your family assets, your car, your retirement account, kids, college funds from your business activities risk. And one of the ways we do that is through forming a legal entity um, so that you get the benefit of a liability shield, assuming that your paperwork is correct and you follow um, appropriate business practices, like not commingling funds as an example. Okay. So that's sort of the first thing. Okay. You guys got any questions about that? Yeah. As far as um, trying to decide what kind of entity you're going to end up choosing, you know, obviously you would probably want to talk to your accountant and, and you as well. How, how do you help walk people through making that choice? So usually we have an initial 30 minute consultation. Um, it, it usually doesn't take much longer than that for me to sort of explain the different options for legal entity. Um, some of the most common are S corporations or limited liability companies. Um, but usually um, the initial decision of which entity to form comes down to a tax question um, because both entities and S corp or an LLC will, will provide a liability shield if you form correctly. So um, oftentimes we'll send them to um, CPAs that we refer business out to or we'll get on the phone with their CPA and work through it together with them. Um, and then when a tax decision um, is made, then we initiate formation. Great. What do you think is the most popular entity structure, like LLC, C Corp, S Corp? What do you think is? Everybody wants an LLC. They're like candy these days. I want an LLC. I want an LLC. And so usually I'm like talking people out of it because S corporation is very common, uh, commonly the, the best legal entity for most smaller businesses in particular, professional services businesses to form. Um, but if you've already formed your LLC, uh, there's some things that we can do to, um, uh, you know, file S elections and things like that to make it work. Okay, great. All right, tell us your next um, pitfall. So let's see here. So the second um, biggest pitfall that I want to help my clients avoid is misclassifying all the players in the business. So what I mean by that is that, um, you know, people will come to me and they'll talk in terms of my, my partner, my business partner, or my investor, 
or my 1099 contract worker. And all of these different designations um, carry with it different kinds of risk and require different paperwork. Um, and so, for example, um, very, very common, somebody will say, well, I'm starting at my business and I want to start using volunteers to help me grow my business. And, I, and my first question is, was well, your business a nonprofit? Which is sort of a funny question because nobody owns a nonprofit. <laughs> they're they're uh, governed by boards, right? Um, and so in a for-profit business, um, like a sole proprietorship or S corporation, you can't actually have volunteers lawfully in California. Um, now, that's not to say that, you know, your kid sweeping the hallway is going to, you know, get you thrown in jail or anything like that. Certainly not. But um, it does come with certain levels of risk. I had one, one person ask me recently, well, my business partner's daughter's boyfriend volunteers for us every weekend. And I'm like, well, how solid is that uh, 16-year-old relationship there? <laughs> because if that, if that goes south, right, you could be taking on legal risk that you didn't really think about at the outset. You were just trying to get the kids some experience, you know? So that kind of question about who these people are that are helping you do your business, that are helping you run it, helping you make decisions, helping you get the work out, um, is really critical to pay attention to. Um, so there's rules for 1099 workers. There's rules for W-2 um, if you have a partner, um, you want to make sure that you're putting something in writing so that your partner, when they get angry with you next year, doesn't come back and say, well, I was their W-2 employee for the last year, and now they owe me penalties, and I'm filing with the Department of Labor. So um, there are situations like that that we can avoid um, by having clarity at the outset between all of it, all the different players. That's good. And I know like 1099 contract employees is something that a lot of people often are really drawn to, oh, I'm not going to make them an employee so that I don't have to pay the taxes and I don't have to file all that paperwork. Um, but it's really common that people are mislabeling 1099 people as they should be an employee, and, right? And, you know, we've been audited by um, the state before making sure that our 1099 employees were or not employees, <laughs> our 1099 <laughs> contractors were in fact contractors um, and not employees, which we passed the audit. I'll just say that. <laughs> that time. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Edit that out. Um, <laughs> um, but and now in the state of California, the rules have gotten even more strict. So, I mean, how common is that, that you're having to have that kind of conversation with people? Um, like weekly. Weekly, we have that conversation, um, even with our more sophisticated clients um, who have been in business a really, really long time and sort of know their way around um, W-2 and 1099 status before in 2018 or so, the rules completely shifted. So that legal ground that people thought they were on before is gone. Um, and so really, you know, if you're going to be hiring 1099 workers, make sure that you're working with you know, your, your business attorney um, or your employment law attorney to help you make sure you're meeting the test. Or if you're unsure if you're going to meet the test, there are things we can do to um, help you if you get in, into an audit situation like that, like having a really clear contract with special bells and whistles language in it that mirrors the statute. Um, so that's a service that we often provide to our clients um, who are considering that same question that you just raised. Awesome. All right. What's number three? Okay. So number three pitfall to avoid is handshake deals. Um, and I mean that in really two different ways. So um, you might be doing business with someone and have a verbal agreement. 
Um, but the downside of having a verbal agreement is that you have lack of clarity, especially when things go wrong. And so when you have a contract um, written down, signed by the parties um, with legally enforceable language in it, you can prevent disputes before they happen. You can also allocate risk between the parties. You might say, I don't want to take on that part of the risk of this deal, but the other person has great insurance and has done it before and they're willing to take on that risk so we can shift risk and contract provisions between the parties. Um, and for 1099 workers, a contract is required if you're going to hire a 1099. So um, there are really good reasons to uh, invest in strong contractual arrangements. Also, though, you have to know what's in the contract. So um, very, very often I have conversations with clients um, where they have a lease agreement or a material supply contract of some kind, and they thought that they negotiated the deal that they talked about, but when we go because something's wrong, we go and look at the contract, doesn't quite read that way. And so you really should um, read it first off, read it yourself um, and think critically about all the different language. And then, you know, don't be ashamed or afraid or hesitant to just, you know, call up a, a business attorney like myself to say, hey, what does this mean? Like, it's not making sense. I might say to you, you're right, it doesn't make sense. You should go have them rewrite it. Or here's the paragraph. Here's how I would rewrite this provision so that it makes sense for your business deal. Very common, like almost on a daily basis, I'm having those conversations. So just because something isn't a formal agreement and you don't understand it doesn't mean you should let it go because, oh, it must be legal. Uh, almost never happens that way, actually. <laughs> That's great. And I think it's a that's good advice to know, like you have the power to go back and re and revise contracts and say, hey, this doesn't work for me. This doesn't make sense. Um, can we reword it this way? And um, I know you guys helped us do that uh, in yeah. the past. So and I also would like to attest to the fact that handshake deals, you know, maybe nine times out of 10, they work out. But when they don't, man, do you wish yeah. you had a contract? <laughs> you know, we've we've all experienced th those kinds of situations like you talked about where there's just misunderstanding um, about and mis and expectations that are not being met on both sides. Um, people don't know what they're um, like. One, one example for us is uh, unlimited amounts of revisions and, you know, changing your mind mid contract or mid project and not wanting to change the price or. Um, I don't want that anymore, so I don't want to pay for that. Uh, well, we already did a lot of work on it, so you can't just change your mind now and not pay us. You know, th things like that, um, in my experience, have been um, real pitfalls. So, yeah, I, I appreciate what you're saying too about the clarity part because when we're just talking handshake deals or just talking between client and you know service provider, something like that, you might just use different language than when you actually have to get very specific so that everybody knows what the expectations are and what's going to happen if this happens. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, we, we can each have our own idea of that, but when it's really there in black and white, that that's very helpful to, to both parties. Do you have any suggestions for uh, creatives specifically, like how, what kind of contract do they, what kinds of things they might want to include in their contract with their clients? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, let's see. So for like photographers, for example, you want to be very clear about the number of photog photographs you're going to be editing because the editing is, in my experience, working with photographers and writing their contracts, the editing phase can take a really long time, longer than taking the photos. 
And so you want to make sure that you're very clear about what those deliverables are going to be. Um, also, um, and my sister's a creative type. So she's an interior designer. Um, she helps people with plan sets for remodel jobs and things like that. And um, I, hel I helped her write her contracts last year. And she um, also does a little bit of graphic design, which you all are used to and, and are familiar with. And so she creates these beautiful proposals and they're just gorgeous and they're formatted perfectly um, and they're very eye-catching and it draws in business. Um, but when I took her proposal and plopped it into, you know, a contract, it's a very different feel. And so I think one of the most important things um, for any business owner, but also specifically, um, as you put it, people who are creative need to need to remember and consider is that your proposal is a marketing tool. You're landing the job with your proposal. But with a contract, you're shifting risk. You're clarifying deliverables. Sometimes more important than what you will do is what you won't do. And so it's a very different feel. Um, but, you know, there are things that we can do to shorten contracts up, create, um, you know, phase one, phase two contracts to make them shorter, more friendly. Um, and so just make sure that when you're working with your lawyer to prepare your contracts as a creative professional, um, you're conveying to them what your clients need. And a, a strong attorney should be able to meet compliance, shift the risk, but also make it feel okay for your client base as well. Great advice. Good. Very good. I think we're on our fourth, our fourth pitfall. I, I'll, I'll combine the fourth and the fifth for you because they're very similar. So the fourth pitfall um, that I try to help clients avoid is not having industry-specific compliance support. Um, and what I mean by that is, is that the government, both the federal, state, local, they regulate different kinds of businesses in different ways: data security, construction work attorneys are regulated in a certain way, um, accountants, um, anybody uh, selling home services door to door has certain regulations they have to abide by. So um, if you are not paying attention to those compliance requirements in your business, um, if you don't have adequate support to help you vet out what those, what those obligations are and how you can meet them, which is sometimes not all that clear, um, then you are leaving yourself open to risks that you don't know about. Um, and that, you know, is, is scary because it can, if it goes sideways, it can put your business under um, and put your family at risk ultimately, right? That's why we all get up in the morning and do what we do is to, to help support and um, help our families thrive. And so really just being careful that you're getting that kind of support on the industry specific compliance side for whatever it is you do. And then similarly, the, pit, the fifth pitfall is not having adequate, adequate HR compliance support. Um, and so this is a lot of what we do at Immersion Shanker Legal Inc. is provide support with, you know, California's um, complex, shall we say, complex and ever-changing HR laws. Um, literally, it's changing sometimes by the month or quarter, um, the, the first of the year, and usually around July 1st, we get a whole host of regulations or rules to comply with. And so um, I'll give you an example of, of specifically what I mean by this kind of pitfall of not having adequate HR support. I had a client years ago. Um, they had a worker working for them. They were not providing meal and rest periods um, or tracking overtime um, in the best manner possible. The worker was only there for like two or three months, um, and it was a $60,000 price tag before the labor commissioner for back wages, penalties, um, we also have something in the state called PAGA, the Private Attorney General's Act, that basically deputizes any plaintiff's attorney 
to go out and force HR laws, um, a number of HR laws. And so you really need to be careful that you're paying attention and investing at the outset to prevent those kinds of situations from coming up. Now, I mean, on the HR side, though, this, this isn't to say that um, even with a lot of investment, you won't get challenges, right? People are people. Um, disputes arise in the workplace. Um, that will always be the case. Um, but with good support behind you, you can just whack a mole and it's done um, instead of letting it fester and grow. And now you've got a $60,000 price tag or an EEOC complaint or you're being hauled into court. So those are the last two pitfalls to avoid. That's, that's eye-opening for sure. So would you say, <clears throat> so like hearing all this, a lot of business owners and even myself and thinking, and, and when we were small, before we even had employees, there was this point where, especially in California, it's like, is it, is it too risky to have employees? Should we just never have employees? Um, but in California, it almost seems like even if you have 1099 contract workers, you're still not, not avoiding any traps or pitfalls or risks. So what would you say to that if, um, should should anybody even have employees or, or does it even matter? <laughs> well, um, what I'll say is that it's a very reasonable question to ask out loud. I myself struggled with when the right time to bring staff on in my business was. Um, and But the bottom line is, is that business needs to grow, right? We need to grow our business and we cannot, there are only so many hours in the day, especially for businesses like yours and mine where it's our hours, it's our, it's our labor um, on an hourly or daily basis that bring in profits. And so um, we, in order to grow, you need help. And so you can't get away from, from needing help. And so what I would say is you're going to have to hire if you're going to be in business eventually um, in order to make more money. And so when you're doing that, <clears throat> you can be very careful at the outset to bring the right kind of person into your business. So implementing um, HR best practices, like what kinds of interview questions are you asking? Um, instead of asking, um, have you ever done X? You want to ask, tell me about a time when, and see if it rings true. See if they use good judgment in the story they're telling. So simple question changes in the interview process can help. Um, there are also validated um, personality assessments, um, validated being the key so that you don't um, fall run afoul of some compliance obligations that you could implement in the hiring process and then over the life of the worker um, or the relationship with the worker in your business um, having um, common opportunities for constructive feedback making that part of your culture making taking breaks part of your culture for hourly workers um, getting that support to know that you're classifying hourly and exempt workers correctly can help you feel more comfortable bringing people in to help you grow your business that's wow. great advice. It's all about support. All about support. Yeah. And that reminds me, you were talking about the validated personality test. Does that mean I can't uh, have a potential employee take an Enneagram personality test? <laughs> um, you want to be careful. There's a couple of good ones out there. Um, and they need to be marketed as validated for um, hiring process or workplace process. Like um, That's basically the legal stamp, right? If it's validated for hiring, that's like the legal stamp, like I can hire someone based on this test. 
Yes, yes. And so um, there are certain tools, I'm not remembering off the top of my head, I can get you the names later, but um, there are certain common tools that have been um, validated through like statistical assessment and things. And, and what validated really means in the legal sense is that you're not testing people for autism or for a personality disorder that it would be illegal to discriminate against, for example. Um, so um, like I'm an INTJ, um, those are my letters on, you know, that, that common personality assessment test, um, but that's not a validated tool for workplace hiring. And so you couldn't say, I only want INTJs for this position. That would be um, legally very, very risky. Wow. You can't say, I don't hire Pisces. <laughs> <laughs> Although you could figure out their sign <laughs> because they do have to give you their birth date. Oh, okay. <laughs> Not their birth date. That would be age discrimination. <laughs> uh, and then there's some questions that you can't ask people, right? And during the interview process uh, that would be considered discriminatory. Do you have any examples or any like stories? If I'm interviewing for your job, you don't want to ask me if I plan to have kids next year. For example, right? Or are you pregnant? <laughs> um, and you um, want to be careful. Just generally, you want to be careful about any kind of protected class. And protected class is a legally defined term. So um, those are the things that you're you're probably used to. They're common, you know, colloquially in our culture, like race, disability, national origin, um, that kind of thing. Sex, gender, sexual orientation. Um, you want to you want to veer away from those things in any kind of questions that you're asking. Even if you're trying to get to know somebody, um, you want to stay away from those kind of lifestyle or protected class kinds of questions. Okay. Are we, we are, we are, it is okay for us to ask personal questions, right? But maybe more open-ended, like tell us about yourself, that kind of thing. Can you ask, you know, what do you like to do for fun? Or is that risky? <laughs> um, why, why is that important to you is what I'd want to know first. <laughs> I mean, I've asked that in just about, you know, we might have to edit this part out, but I think I've asked that in just about every interview. And it's important to me to know kind of like what they're into um, outside of work. You know, do they like um, extreme sports? Do they like, you know, just, yeah, mostly just to see, just to get to know them. I think when we ask those kinds of questions, it's not because it's like we're going to hire you or not based on your answer, but usually when we're asking those questions, it's like trying to disarm people, make them feel more comfortable and like, so that we can connect with them and kind of get a sense of their personality, um, mm -hmm. that type of thing. Yeah. So I might ask a, a question like that um, in this way. Um, what do you do to maintain balance between work um, and personal life? You know, um, we, we are in a professional services type business and there's a lot of pressure. And so it's important that in our workplace, we prioritize balance. Um, how do you, how do you do that in your career? That's really good. She's good. Yeah. Man, I am sending you all of my interview yeah. questions <laughs> from now on. <laughs> Man. Wow. Well, this has been really valuable. Thank you so much for coming on the show Absolutely. and sharing with us. Um, how do people connect with you? If oh, well, our fabulous website, of course. <laughs> you, can, you can go to uh, eslegalinc.com e and uh, my cell phone's on there. My email address is on there. You can call or text or email, uh, set up a consultation. Um, or if you have you know, a question and, and you think that we might be a good fit for, for supporting your business. 
Awesome. Hey, do you have any upcoming webinars that we might want to know about? You know, we just sort of finished our first quarter webinars. And so um, we're in the process of, of sort of reevaluating re um, what kinds of topics we're going to be talking about um, as we head into, you know, the second and third quarter. Um, so if you have any ideas or feedback, you know, um, on what, you know, your clients might want to hear or what you would want to hear in our next webinar, um, shoot us those ideas. Okay. Sure. Yeah, we can have people send us questions either, you know, to questions at extremelyvalidpoints.com. We'll certainly pass those along to you. If So if you're out there listening to this podcast and you have questions uh, or, or you want to go deeper, or if you want Ashley in her next webinar to go deeper, send those over. Ashley, are your webinars free? How do they work? Um, some of them are free. Um, we do try to maintain some free workshops for the business community um, throughout the year. Um, but even when there is a charge, most of them are relatively low cost. Um, our last COVID update webinar, for example, was $30. Um, and you can go from the comfort of your own home or office. You just log on to Zoom, sort of like we're talking here. Um, and uh, Zoom has been a great platform. We used to do these presentations in person a lot. Um, and so we sort of had to pivot and, and Zoom is um, allowing us to actually reach a broader audience too. So. Great. so where do we go if we want to find out about what webinars you have planned? So on our website, um, there should be uh, a drop down where you can click for any kind of specials that we have going on at the moment um, and get our webinar schedule. And then uh, our webinar schedule will link you out to our Eventbrite page as well. Okay. Great. All right. Oh. Oh, you can also follow us on Facebook. So we have a Facebook page um, for Emergency Shankar Legal Inc. And we often give legal alerts and we advertise all of our webinars on Facebook too. Yes. I love those. Yes. I am a follower and those are helpful. I love those. It's good stuff. Yeah. We will put links in our show notes to all of your Facebook page, your webinar page, your website, um, so that viewers, if they want to connect with you, they can find the links in our show notes. Sounds great. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, do you have any inspiration that you want to share with us for the week? Um, yeah. So, I mean, you, you asked me to sort of think about what inspires me um, and to help me prep. Um, and <laughs> this probably sounds really corny. We, we might not be able to <laughs> include this, but really it's my garden. Um, and I, I found plants later in life. I'm, I'm not like a crazy plant mom, but like <laughs> they inspire me. Um, so in my garden right now, it's like spring is starting to um, to sort of pop up and show up. And there is this, uh, clematis plant that I had that I thought I killed last season. Actually, I did not think it was coming back, but it's there. It's popped back up. She's um, developing into a beautiful flower and I'm going to see her in a few weeks. And so it's just really the resiliency of plants is really what I find inspiring. Um, you know, I talked in the beginning about one of the struggles that I think all business owners, um, and certainly people running law firms experiences, the constant pull on their time and not having enough time and needing to be very resilient. And so, um, when I, I take a quick coffee break or tea break in my garden, um, it helps remind me that take a deep breath, you're resilient too. <laughs> so that's awesome. I love that. You know what that reminds me too about plants is um, in order for an, a new plant to grow, um, an old plant has to, a, a, a flower has to grow and then die and the seed has to die and dry up before a new plant can grow. And I think um, 
That we could also apply to business and resiliency. Um, sometimes things seem dead and like it's over, but it's really uh, sometimes things have to die before the new thing can come. And uh, yeah. it's a constant evolution. Yeah, it, it's a really good analogy plants for um, the stages of business growth. Um, you start out as a little seedling and then you become an established plant, but you're still having that turnover. You're still having to sort of pivot and reassess and innovate. Um, and that's, that's what business is for, for lawyers or any, anyone else. <laughs> so true. <Yep. clears throat> and the attorney is the garden fence that protects the flowers. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this has been so great. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I've had fun. I was a little nervous, but <laughs> couldn't tell at all. No, you did great. And uh, it's been wonderful having you on. I want to thank you for coming. Uh, you've added so much value. Um, really great information for people like us. Yeah, yeah thank you for having me. Um, I hope to be back one day as well. We can have a follow up. Absolutely. Sounds great. great. Thanks, Ashley. All right. all right. Have a good week. All right. You, you too. too. Bye. Bye. Thanks again. Bye. Thanks for spending time with us at the Extremely Valid Points podcast. To learn more about this episode, see our show notes at extremelyvalidpoints.com. Be sure and subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you download your podcasts. Join us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash extremely valid. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Instagram at EVP underscore podcast. Thanks again. And we'll see you next time with some extremely valid points.